Welcome, please make yourselves comfortable and at home. Those of you who have not yet found a seat, if you do want to sit down, there are seats available. If you would like to stand up near the window, you're free to do so. If you'd like to put your head upon your arms and fall into a gentle samba, I will try to support that with a soft textured voice, allowing you to slip ever deeper into a state of relaxation and calm as you feel your eyelids growing heavier, your body starts to relax and slump down, and you feel as if you can just totally let go. And as you feel that relaxation coming over your body, the calm and the tranquility, almost as if there's nothing that's bothering you or holding you back, can just let go and slip into a state of sweet sleep, slumber, taking a deep breath and just letting go of all those worries and all those tensions and just slipping into a deep slumber. Hunger! What's it all about? Ah! So Hanukkah, what is it all about? What is it all about? Hanukkah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, what's Hanukkah about? And this is a crazy thing. Because if you think about Hanukkah, it's very hard to spot. The Jewish spiritual program, generally, is pretty concrete and explicit. There's lots of stuff to do. If you want to enter into Shabbos, you can't kind of forget about it or miss it if you're subscribing to the, the practices because, well, you have to engage in the day wholeheartedly. You have to let go of all your technology, of all your plans, and you have to imbibe the atmosphere. It's, it's, it's almost unavoidable. If you want to practice the festival of Sukkot, it's going to make an impression because you're going to be eating in a different place, you're going to be doing different things during the day, it's very obvious and overt. If you want to practice the festival of Pesach, Passover, it's going to be hard to miss because you're going to be eating something different, there's a whole different curriculum of what you're going to be doing. If you want to practice Purim, it's going to be very difficult to miss. There are things you have to read, things you have to, you have to exchange gifts, you have to get absolutely, completely trashed. It's hard to miss. Even for one of the most seasoned drinkers around, you can, you know, you may notice that your level of inebriation exceeds the normal limit, even though the normal limit is pretty extreme. Again, using the word extreme, not in the Australian context, where people treat beer as others do milk. But Hanukkah, Hanukkah, you can literally miss it. Eight days. Eight days. And in those eight days, there's really very little to do. 
granted, you do, you'll probably spend, you'll spend a good five minutes max lighting candles, probably not, probably like two minutes, especially on the first day, one candle, three brachas, could do it in a minute, that's it, 24 hours, one minute, wow. It's a bit of an unfair ratio if you think about what is Hanukkah. Oh, there's also, right, you also have to add in a approximately another two-minute insertion three times a day, and if you eat bread, true. And also, you have to add in Hallel in the morning, and there's a different kind of, there's readings. Okay, so probably there's an, yeah, but those things are in davening, they kind of get lost, because anyway, who's, who's paying attention? So, you can really kind of, well, when I say to you, well, how was your Hanukkah? Well, how are you going to answer that question? How was your Hanukkah? So most people say, it was great, it was great, it was great. And people say the word great, that could mean anything. So what does great mean? They say, well, in what way was it great for you? So I want you to answer that question in your head. And the answers in your head, or in my head, would be the donuts. The donuts are just like a different level. Like I've never eaten donuts like this. Like back in the day, for me, a donut was a piece of dough, deep fried in oil, to make sure that you can maximize the, you know, like there's foods which are, have like, are densely nutritious, so like, there's the, there's the anti-food. If you think of what is the anti-food, for the Americans amongst us, the anti-food, so the anti-food is a donut. It takes everything that's problematic about eating, and it synergizes it into a single bowl or ball. So you've got inflammatory white flour, lots of sugar, highly inflammatory. Um, sometimes other stuff, like if you can put in some like deep caramel, which is not only sugar but also high in fat, and then you deep fry it. Ideally in oil that's been used multiple times before. So like you want to get that carcinogenic impact as well. So, so then, and then you put that, and then, and then you kind of make that the focal point, and then, so guys, says, how's your Hanukkah? Great, great. Tell me about it. Just had like six donuts last night. <coughs> so, how do you feel? You say, I, like, I want to vomit. <laughs> well, look, I'm, at least you're using the, the special time properly. That's, that's amazing. Well done. Well done. Someone says, no, uh, how's your Hanukkah? Oh, it was amazing. What did you do? I went like a party. So what did you do at the party? He said, I was drunk and we partied. Okay. Um, because like, what, do you, what is it that you do on Hanukkah? Like, what, what is it? So you can, you can look at the candles. Most people, they look at the candles. There's, there's a mystical idea that you should look at the candles. So people look at the candles, look at the candles, and like 15 seconds later, they go, should I carry on? Like, what, what else is there to see? Oh, the tzaddikim, they were looking to the candles for hours. You look and you think, I don't know, it's just, it's like two little flames, not really intriguing. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Well, maybe there is. So what do you do on Hanukkah? Here we are on Hanukkah. Celebrating Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. Hi. And we like, you know, the Yiddish song comes back to our heads like this when they used to sing in Shiraz. Oi Hanukkah, oi Hanukkah, yom tevashen. Alustik afreilicha nishdo no chazena. Ala necht mitreidelach. Does it remember? Spiel on me. Hey, says this a latkes. Es mironesh. We don't know that. Maybe we'll learn that song and then maybe we'll have something to say. Ah, oh, my Hanukkah was great. Well, we sang a Yiddish song. No, it was beautiful. What's the song about? It was in Yiddish. Shall we go? Daniel! Mashiach! That's actually his name. Um, 
what, 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 do, what do we do on Hanukkah? It's very, very subtle, isn't it? It's a very subtle, it's a very subtle festival. It's hard to grasp. Where is this? And it's all about light. So this is my, this is my contention. How do you like this? The reason why we find Hanukkah so, sorry, I, I can't, I'm not going to project. The reason why I find Hanukkah so, um, elusive, elusive is it's all about light. And, uh, if I start with the premise that I'm living in darkness, so I'm, my life is so dark, I can't even see Hanukkah. <laughs> so then it would make sense. Like I can't see Hanukkah, so, so what is Hanukkah? I don't know. So I have to think about things which are associated with Hanukkah and say, that's it. Donuts. Parties. And the menorah, of course. Oh, and it's so cool because in Jerusalem there's all the like, stuff going on. Jerusalem. But imagine back, growing back in the days when Hanukkah celebrated in the middle of the December holidays. Like, you know, between, between beach and braai. You know, you kind of, you, you feel guilty, so you just like pay homage to like a wax candle, which I kind of expires after 15 minutes, you haven't done anything. So, what, what is Hanukkah? So this is the contention. The contention is, Hanukkah is about light, and my life is dark. And I don't think it's dark, I think it's light. So I see my life, and I see Hanukkah, and Hanukkah is invisible. So, oh, obviously Hanukkah is not there, because I, I can see, you see? I can see because light is the mechanism, the medium which allows sight to occur. You can be fully sighted, but you don't do well in pitch, pitch darkness. Many, many years, it's been clinically proven that many sighted people put into a room which has no light in it see very little. I think it's, there's been a recent study that it's kind of double blind, excuse the pun. Um, so, so, what about this? Hanukkah is about light, and if I live in a world of darkness, my life will be so dark because there is nothing as Helen Keller ingeniously commented that there are none as blind as those who have sight but cannot see. I, that's, that's probably not a direct quote, but it's, it's, it's a gist. It's a gist. Everyone knows Helen Keller. Yes. He- Helen Keller? She is blind and deaf and, and mute. Yeah? And she learned to speak. And obviously, she learned to see, but without eyes. So, Hanukkah is all about sight. Because it's all about light. And light is a medium that facilitates sight. And the reason why I didn't see Hanukkah is because, not that I don't have eyes, but I don't have light. So therefore, it's dark. So, what is the light that lights up my life that I think I see, but it's really darkness? So listen to this. There are two kinds of light. There's the obvious light that we have. They're above us. It's all around us. It's the light of, that we use. It's a very big thing. Lighting has become huge in the modern world. Back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> when I was young, we dreamed of LED lighting. We used to have a single filament bulb in the middle of the room, strung from a wire. It used to hang and then swing from side to side in the wind. Ha! LED lighting. And the light was so dim, could barely see my chavusa. And you know, we learned then, we learned. We couldn't read the Gemara, but we learned. Not sure what. Lighting has gone through, there's been the lighting revolution. Lighting's become revolutionized. The amount of energy that lights use now is a fraction of what they used to. The lighting, the whole world of lighting has changed. We've never lived in a brighter world. 
but never in one, perhaps, so spiritually dark. And it's almost ironic, it seems there's this counterbalance, that as lighter as the world becomes, the more we lose sight, the more we lose light. Let's talk about the kind of lights that there are. There's two kinds of lights. There's a light that we use, and then there's been a revolution. We can literally bring light to the darkest places on earth. We can go to Sweden, which for many months of the year is stooped in darkness, and we don't notice it because the lighting is so good. And as we go further north, there are small cities where they've activated a system of lighting which almost duplicates the light of the sun so that the sense of being plunged into darkness for months is alleviated, which stops people from suffering from sad. Seasonal adjustment disorder. It's a problem. Those of you living in, in the northern hemisphere and you've got grey day after grey day or day with no light, it becomes depressing. So you need light. So we've done, we've done amazing, done amazing stuff with light. We've gone into the world and we've conquered the darkness until there's no far-flung air of the world that cannot be lit, lit up, even if it's with the flashlight on my phone. And all of a sudden there's light. That light is a light where I am the master and it is my servant. I have come to conquer the world. The world is beneath me and I am on top. And as I go around the world, shining my beam on the darkness around, things are illuminated one after another. The light serves me, and I utilize it for my own good. It's a light which is controlled by the human experience. And that light, we've only become greater and more powerful in its utilization. I want you to think now for a moment a different kind of light because maybe that's not the only light that exists. Maybe there's another kind of light. Maybe there's another kind of light that is so subtle that we don't even know or we have just glimpses of its existence. Let's go back to the sequence of creation, which seems so counterintuitive. Imagine I would be building a building. I'm an architect and I design it, I'm a builder and I build it. The engineers pass the plans and I build the building. I think, okay, first thing we need, guys, let's put in the lights. <laughs> you say to me, idiot. That's Hebrew. What are you talking about? You don't put in the lights before you set up the place. If there's nothing to light up, what you're lighting up? If there's nothing to light up, what you're lighting up? So now, I'm a little bit inquisitive, curious, as to what was the plan of creation where we installed first thing, first thing, first day, let's get the lights going. Vayor, and there was light. Who needs light? Who needs light? There's nothing to light up, baby. <laughs> what are you lighting up? There's this light. You create a light. Number one, create a light. There's a light. What light? There's a light. Vayor. Did you ever think about that? That the sequence is, that makes no sense. You're creating light before anything else. What's the point, mate? What's the point? What are you doing? So we must be thinking about different kinds of light, mustn't we? 
I'd like to, together with you, begin to perhaps entertain the notion that there may be a different kind of light. Not the kind of light that is under my control, but perhaps the light that's above me. And humbly, I glimpse it, and it has a very different function to the flashlight that I brandish. This kind of light would create visibility not to the world that's underneath me, but to the world that's above me. Because my own confined experiences of existence are severely limited to cognition and experience that my brain's managed to produce, to the empirical conclusions I've drawn from the world that I've seen, touched and felt. My own experience of reality is an accident of my time and place of birth. And it only goes as far as my mental capacity stretches and my experience of life extends. But maybe there's a light that's beyond me. Maybe I'm not the end point of the universe. Maybe there's something more profound than the experience of my own living. Maybe my subjective experience of life is just one tiny little molecular piece of a gigantic system. And in order for me to experience it, I have to creep out of that selfish shell, which is opaque, and penetrate it and see there's a light. And that light is a light of insight, of understanding, of awareness. As I break down the boundaries of myself, I start to recognize that maybe there's something that I haven't quite grasped and is beyond me. Maybe there's something that's above my experience of the world. Maybe my intellect is not the final point of human understanding. And maybe there's something I can grasp, but it can't come from the inside because the inside is always limited by the parameters of human existence. But maybe there's something beyond that, a perception, a transcendence, something which can stretch above into a place which is not just a time and a space thing. And maybe there's a light which can actually give me a power to connect to infinity. And that light is something which is above my point of access. It sheds, it sheds light on the existence of a world which is unexplored. It brings into my field of vision a reality which is completely cut off. And it allows me to explore the world which I hadn't been able to experience in my own self-contained reality. It's a light without boundaries and barriers. It's a light which sheds its wisdom on something which is beyond space and time. It's a light that carries forth a truth which is not subject to the changes and deviations of time and space. If I could, if there could be such a light, there could be such a light that I could somehow see and get perspective of a world that I have not yet seen, that would be transformational. That would be, 
that would be that would be that would break down every perception of the limitations of my experience of existence that I could possibly ever anticipate. There are eight days of Hanukkah. And there was a miracle that's associated with Hanukkah. This little bit of oil burned for eight days. And to reenact that experience, we, ate a candle, we light a candle for eight days. But the math is off. Day one was enough oil for the candle to last. We should be celebrating a miracle which occurred over the period of seven days. Why do we go to an eight-day experience when really it only lasted seven days? Well, what? Does that make sense? How many days was the miracle of Hanukkah? How long did the candle last? Well, it lasted eight days, but day one was not miraculous. Day one was what it should have done. Or perhaps not. You think about it this way. When that candle was lit on day one, how long was the oil going to burn for? And what was the light that it projected? Well, if it was a certain amount of oil, if it was a certain amount of oil, with a certain rate of combustion, it would have lasted for a certain particular amount of time. If the light was a physical light, it would have stopped after the oil ran out. But what if, just what if, what if the light that shone from that small little lamp created a visibility to the existence of a different dimension of the world that's invisible to the naked eye. And that light gave access to it. That light showed that the observable cause and effect that we experience in our natural life is but a disguise and a camouflage to a deeper system, which to the naked eye is shut off. What happens if that first lighting of that first candle would burn forever. It would burn forever. Because the nature of the light, which is not physical, is it loses the barriers of space and time, which means the oil would never be consumed and the light would never dim. And the fact that it stopped after eight days was not because that's when it finished. It could have gone on forever. But that's when they chose to reduce the level of exposure and they continue to function within the natural realm. It's not too good to live in a world above the experience of nature. So then, that would mean that when that first candle was lit, the light that it shone was a different kind of light completely. And it's not that, oh wow, this candle burned for eight days. It was this light doesn't have an end. Obviously, it's going to burn forever. After eight days, they put an end to it. But it could have burned forever. And then, the alocha that's attached to the lights of candle of, of Hanukkah becomes a little bit more comprehensible. Because the alocha is that you can't use the Hanukkah candles. You can't use them to light up things. Why? It's so practical. Switch off the lights and then you can use the candles to read back. You're not allowed to. But why aren't you allowed to? What's the point? Because this is a different kind of light. 
It's not the light you use. It's not the light of conquest. It's not the light of human mastery. It's a light of human submission. It's a light of insight. It's a light of wisdom. It's a light of recognizing that the rational mind is insanely limited and can only grasp a small smithering of what the universe has to offer. It's a humble submission to the notion that there's something bigger than this little selfish rat that I find myself in. And therefore, when I look at those lights, they're only there to be looked at but not to be used. And as I stare into them, the world and the universe opens up to me. And the reason why Hanukkah is a festival which can be so easily bypassed is not because it's the richest of all, but because we are the poorest of all. We've lost our sight. We can't see the light. And without the light, the darkness is invisible. If you're worth your weight in salt, this is probably a reason for a bit of reflection. Because missing out Hanukkah is a synonym to missing out on the basic ingredients of what it means to live life. The choice is yours. You're at a crossroads. The one sign says the meaning of life. The other, cheesecake. Choose carefully the path that you follow.